Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. up on today's show the other side of the argument there are those who think the government made a big mistake buying the f-35 to replace our cf-18s we'll find out why they think a saab aircraft might be a better choice how you doing with your resolution starting to wane a little bit don't feel bad we'll have some tips to get you back on track and more trouble in travel this week we've been discussing the canadian military's purchase of the f-35 to uh, replace our aging fleet of CF-18s. 18 of them cost $19 billion. Yesterday, Dr. Timothy Choi from the University of Calgary and the Canadian Global Affairs Institute was on with us talking about why he felt it was the right move to make. That was the right plane to get. Not everyone agrees, as you know. Uh, There's been uh, a bunch of you who call, actually, uh, making a case for the Saab fighter jets. Well, today, that argument from Alex McCall. He has a master's in public policy from the University of Calgary. He's uh, He wrote his capstone thesis uh, CF-39 Arrow 2, a Swedish solution to the CF-18 replacement problem. His columns appear in the Western Standard and the Halifax Chronicle Herald. He reached out yesterday and said, hey, I'm, I'm good buddies with Dr. Choi, and I really enjoyed what he had to say, but I've got a counter-argument, and I thought, hey, that sounds good. Let's do it. So Alex joins us now. Uh, Alex, thanks for being here. Appreciate it. Thank you, Shay. Okay. Now, when you talk about uh, you have uh, a differing opinion from Dr. Troy, is it because of the plane? Is it because of the deal? Where do your concerns lie? Uh, well, both. Uh, but first, I'll say what I agreed with Dr. Troy, and that is we need fifth-generation capabilities. Uh, where I disagree is when people say that only the F-35 offers them. So fifth-generation capabilities were originally described as having advanced low observability, extreme agility, sensor fusion with advanced sensors, secure data networks, and the ability to super cruise. So while the F-35 undoubtedly wins on stealth or low observability, the Gripen delivers extreme agility. It delivers sensor fusion with advanced sensors. Dr. Choi mentioned how the F-35 has six infrared cameras providing spherical situational awareness. The Gripen has six infrared cameras providing spherical situational Mm -hmm. awareness. Both jets have spherical uh, EW, AESA-based warning systems and jamming systems. Uh, Both offer secure data networks. And ironically enough, the definition of a fifth-gen fighter included the ability to supercruise when Lockheed Martin was trying to sell the F-22, which can supercruise. They've since removed supercruise from the definition of what a fifth-generation aircraft needs to do because the F-35 can't supercruise. The Saab Gripen can. So I find it funny that the aspect that the Gripen can deliver, that the F-35 can't, gets removed from the definition. And uh, sorry, I should have said, supercruise is the ability to fly faster than the speed of sound without using the afterburner. Okay, so operationally you say these jets are at least comparable. There's no disadvantage to having to solve that. Exactly right. And the military did announce when they said that they had finalized two bidders that the Saab Gripen E 
met all the technical requirements to replace the CF-18. Um, in, so, in, in terms of th- th- this plane, the deal, what's the cost? Like, what, I mean, obviously, that's going to be a consideration. That's going to be a factor. What's the cost? Uh, I mean, ballpark. Would it be more expensive, less expensive to go with the Saab? Uh, it would be slightly less expensive up front. Right. We can't know for sure because they haven't announced Saab's pricing. But when Saab won the competitive tender in Brazil in 2014, they had a unit price of procurement of around 125 million USD. And that includes not just the jets, but infrastructure, spares, tooling, and also setting up a factory in Brazil with Embraer to build most of Brazil's fighters in Brazil. Canada made got a similar offer where Saab was offering to build uh, the jets in Halifax with IMP Aerospace and Defense. So it's likely that the Gripen would have been less expensive up front, but the key savings is it's more expensive to own a fighter jet than it is to buy one. Right, and that's where exactly. you saw the difference. And now, the Gripen has a cost per flight hour of less than half that of the F-35. Okay, now, let's break that down a bit, because one of the points that uh, Dr. Troy made yesterday that made really, really good sense to me is because the F-35 is um, probably the most widely used, the most common aircraft out there, there's a, a lot of expertise, a lot of people familiar with maintenance, repair mechanics on it, parts are easier to find, whereas some of the other planes that aren't, you know, as numerous, that doesn't apply. So how does that factor in? Uh, well, first of all, the F-35 has had a lot of parts shortage problems as it's been working up. It's supposed to have an on-demand dynamic uh, maintenance system that orders new parts as they're needed. And the first iteration of that system completely failed. And huge parts shortages plagued the American F-35 fleet. And they've since built a new system called Odin that is hopefully going to fix that solution or that problem. But... The F-35 has had parts problems, so let's, let's not wave that away. On the Gripen's side, while it's a smaller production uh, jet, it's based on a proven engine. It uses the GE F-414 engine, which is used by the U.S. Super Hornet and a number of other aircraft. And it's also, the 414 is an evolution of the 404 that's in our existing Hornets. So we already have a GE support infrastructure set up in Canada that knows how to work on engines like these. Whereas the new F-135 engine in the F-35 is the largest, heaviest, most expensive jet engine ever put in a fighter jet, and it requires a lot of American maintenance that we just don't have the infrastructure for or the experience with yet. In terms of turnaround and time frames, would Saw be able to deliver on the same time frame as Lockheed Martin? Uh, ironically enough, the same week when our defense minister announced that we were going to sign a contract for the F-35, Brazil was celebrating the introduction into service of their new Saab Gripenese. So Brazil ordered at the end of 2014, and they've already started to receive jets, and they're already uh, introduced into service. So this is one of those things where if Justin Trudeau had said in 2015 that we're going to keep our election promise and go with a less expensive jet, if he had simply ordered the Saab Gripen then and there, we'd probably have our first couple of jets right now. Interesting. Okay. Now, of course, it's not just about the jet. There's always politics at play here. You know that. Uh, Lockheed Martin has some operations in Canada, and they were talking about the economic benefit that this will mean to its Canadians' operation. Does Saab have a similar situation where um, there are some facilities, there's some business being done in Canada with Saab? 
Yes, absolutely. So uh, people forget that our Halifax-class frigates today use a number of SOB systems, from radar targeting systems and the 9LV computer system. Uh, so SOB has a long industrial presence in Canada. The new SOB Global Eye uh, airborne radar aircraft is actually made in Toronto. It's a SOB Bombardier okay. collaboration. And they uh, we sold five to the United Arab Emirates, and Sweden has announced that they're going to buy two with an option for two more. Uh, some would argue, and I, I'm, in one, I'm one of those people, would say <laughs> that the SOB Bombardier solution should be the replacement to our CP-140 uh, maritime patrol aircraft that Boeing is trying to get us to sole source. Uh, but yes, Saab has a, a presence in Canada, and Saab, by offering full technology transfer with assembly in Canada in Halifax, offered full guaranteed offsets for this fighter proof. So offering to set up centers of excellence in Montreal and Vancouver for R&D and all sorts of other work. So we are getting partial non-guaranteed offsets with the F-35 buy, and the F-35, it's worth noting, needs to be sent back to Texas for major upgrades. The Saab Gripen would be made in Canada, supported in Canada, and create uh, more jobs in Canada. Well, you've made a, a spirited defense of the Saab. Uh, why do you think they went with F-35s? Uh, well, I saw a leaked draft version of the RFP, and I wrote about it for the, at the time for the Western Standard, how the military clearly wanted the F-35. And the F-35, if it delivers on all the promised Block 4 capabilities, should be a very good, albeit very expensive, fighter bomber. Mm -hmm. Now, the military, when Pierre Trudeau was prime minister, they wanted to buy the big, heavy, new, expensive F-15 Eagle to replace our old Voodoo and Starfighters. Previous Trudeau said, no, you can buy the least expensive jet that meets the minimum requirements. That's why we have CF-18 Hornets today. Uh, It seems like some in the military have learned from that mistake and have been pushing for the most expensive option. There's also a degree of politics and backroom dealings at play. Sure, of course. uh, Like you look at Jody Thomas, the former deputy minister at DND, who's now Trudeau's national security advisor. Her son works in industrial relations at Lockheed Martin. You look at former chief of defense staff, Air Force General Tom Lawson. He retired from the military in 2015 and uh, runs now runs a consulting practice, which has listed Lockheed Martin as one of his biggest customers since 2016. Uh, you look at Lieutenant General uh, Bouchard of the RCAF. He retired in 2012 and became president of sales at Lockheed Martin in 2013. So there is certainly a, a degree of red flags about conflicts of interest. That well, I, think I mean, no, if you, if you, if you leave the military and you start working for Lockheed Martin and you're, if you're doing lobby work, I mean, that stuff happens all the time. Not saying it's right, but I mean, that's, that's the way the business works. You know that. It creates a, an appearance of impropriety. Sure. I hear what you're saying. Yeah, absolutely. Um, interesting Especially stuff, Alex. The, Especially when the uh, the deputy minister has a son who's actively working there. Yeah, that's an interesting one. No question about it. No doubt. Yeah. Um, okay. I, I really appreciate you getting in touch and, and coming on and talking about the sob and, and laying it out. Because I, like I said, there's a lot of people who call uh, that say you're right. They, they, they agree. We, we went the wrong way with the F-35. So uh, I appreciate your expert analysis of it. Thank you so much. Hey, Sarah, have you noticed, do, do I look any skinnier to you since the new year? 
Okay, I'm not playing this Come game. Come on, be honest. I'm you asking you to hold me to account. Day. I do. That's because so I'm it's fat. hard to. Yeah, well, <laughs> it's not because you're fat. Don't even. I uh, I don't weigh myself. I don't use a scale. But yesterday, I was delighted to notice that I had to tighten up my belt to the next hole. Okay, I don't want to be a jerk, but is it just because the leather has stretched out on the belt? You, it may be, but okay. you don't have to bring that up and ruin it for me, Sarah, because okay. I was really you enjoying it. You told me to keep it, you. Right? keep you to account <laughs> and i appreciate it you're doing your job very well no um like i said i don't i'm not a resolution guy typically uh, i don't do resolutions um but this year it, not so much of a resolution but uh, as as i've said a few times i i quit smoking back in november of 2021 and and i did what everybody does when they quit smoking give yourselves that pass right like oh you're going to gain some weight but it's okay it's better than smoking so i did that took full advantage of it for a year and then decided, okay, uh, enough, enough. So I had a bit of a talk with myself and uh, like I say, I'm not eating better and I'm not necessarily exercising more. I've always been a walker. Uh, it's just eating less. That's it. Um, uh, and th that's my resolution. And I think I'm starting to see slight dividends from that, but we'll see if I can maintain it. How are you doing with your resolutions? Did you set a resolution. I wonder if the gyms are starting to empty out. It's so funny. Every year, uh, January 1st, the gyms full out. They sell all their memberships and it's packed and you can't get a locker and you can't get a parking spot. And then it starts to dwindle as the year goes on. And I wonder if people are starting to fall off. I expect that some are already. Um, but I'm sure a lot of people are sticking to it. But if you're starting to already feel the uh, enthusiasm and the momentum wane a bit, have no fear. We'll see if we can help you out. We're going to chat now with Shara Vijan, who is the owner of SVPT Fitness and Athletics. Shara, thanks for joining us. Appreciate your time. Thanks for having me. And congrats on uh, finish, um, quitting smoking, because that's a huge health outcome that's yeah. going to have dividends down the road. Like that's a new habit that's an old habit you had to break so congrats breaking habits are hard thank you yeah that's a tough one i i you know like like anybody i tried many many times i it's weird Shara. i think i just i had this mental thing in my head for decades saying i'm not going to smoke past 50 that was sort of this line that i drawn and for my 50th birthday i quit smoking and it was much easier than i expected and easier than the other times that i'd tried so i don't know maybe i was just done with it but anyway like i say i gained weight after which i think happens so uh i've like I say, I'm not a resolution guy. What about you? As somebody in the profession, somebody in the business, what do you think about resolutions? Are they a good idea? I think so, because, you know, every year it's trendy to do resolutions, and then the next year it's not, and it's like, I don't want to do new year, new me, but I'm, I'm all for people that want to change their lives, because resolutions has a negative connotation with yeah. it, where you think about going overboard and to the extreme, but what about if you just said, well, this year, I want to have a better year than last year, so I'm going to make a few changes. We don't have to put the word resolution out there, it's just, what if I want to start feeling better? What if I want to manage stress better? What if I want to have better health outcomes? What if I want to prevent diabetes and heart disease so that that's okay and a lot of resolutions these days have been revolving around self-care and fitness is a part of self-care and you know more people are thinking about just managing their stress right now and getting through um, the next year with less stress you know you make a really good point like and that's part of my argument against resolutions is why wait till january 1st i mean if you, if you recognize a problem in your life address it but you're right maybe you you've had a problem in your life but you haven't really taken a moment to say hey what do i want to do different and better next year and in that case yeah why not jump in and say hey that's what i'm going to do this new year that makes perfect sense to me use that as sort of an opportunity to reflect and say hey what would i like to improve 
Exactly. So basically by starting the year, you're giving your whole yourself a whole year to, to get to next year and say, I don't want to have to deal with this resolution right. again. So like, and you hit the nail on the head. If you didn't change August 1st, what makes you change January 1st? Well, a lot of people view the first part of the year as a, as a renewal or a, a fresh start. And I'm all for it. I'm, if this is what you need to get going, then, then do it. I, I'm, I'm all about supporting people in this type of, um, you know, an endeavor because it's hard. Change is hard. And yes, if you didn't do it August 1st, you know, there's a chance you might not get it done on January 1st, but at the same time, maybe it's time to step back and say, why? Why aren't I getting it done? Now, you can set yourself up for failure going about this the wrong way, right? I mean, you can set, I don't know if it's goals, you can, you can make a resolution into something that is doomed to fail before you even start, right? There's a right and a wrong way. Thousand percent, and it's not. It's 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 about because everybody's lives are different, and I dislike the whole. We all have the same twenty four hours in a day. Absolutely not. Everybody's twenty four hours are different, and come around January first, everybody wants to jump in with two feet, which I love. Yeah. Because motivation is is really good, but they tend to make goals that just aren't realistic, that don't fit in their lifestyle. You know, if you are working two jobs and you have two kids and all the hockey and everything else, and then you say, I want to get fit, I'm going to go to the gym seven days a week. That probably is not going to happen because it doesn't fit in your lifestyle. So it's about making small, realistic changes okay. week by week, not not looking at jumping in with two feet and, and changing your entire life. Let's Let's work on one or two things, even a month, because that's how a habit will stick. You have to find a routine to make that habit stick, and then you move on to the next one. And then before you know it, in six months, you have created three or four new habits that have had a huge outcome on your life um in terms of measurable i mean like when you, like like you say you don't want to say okay this is this is the hard and fast goal this is what i'm going to do you you, you don't want to do that but um when we talk about goals i don't know much about goal setting but i do know they have to be attainable and they have to be measurable right so you address the right. attainable part first how do you get the measurable part without setting yourself up for an unrealistic expectation well, in, 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 um, relatable to, in related to fitness, it's like, well, uh, I want to be able to do five full push-ups by the end of this month. I want to do one full pull-up or I want to be able to do 45 minutes at the end of the month versus only being able to last 20 minutes. So it's like putting, you can put numbers and make it quantifiable on exercise okay. and being specific to that because then it's look then you're looking towards something because then in every session that you do you're like wow this is getting easier and easier i'm definitely going to reach my goal at the end of the month so yes adding a number to um to measure definitely helps now we're what was it january 11th today so we're not even two weeks in but i know myself when i've had this chat with myself and said okay it's time to get serious we're going to start going to the gym and i go crazy and i'm in there every single day for an hour and i'm and you know what it's unsustainable and you know it and and, and 11 days is more than enough time for me to have missed one missed two, now it's three, now it's five, and it's over. So I'm sure there are people out there who have found themselves in that position, came out of the gate too fast, or or whatever the case may be, don't give up, right? Is that the message you can get started again? Yeah, my, my, my advice to that is keep going, because 20% is still better than 0%. Sure. Right? So 50%. So it's like, this is where we need to be a little kinder with ourselves. And instead of doing, and I've said this a couple times, instead of doing 75 hard, let's do 365 moderate and consistent. So yeah. 
that's just looking towards like, yeah, you're going to have good weeks and bad weeks, right? Some days you're going to get and get, you know, get to all your workouts and all your sessions. And the next week, the world's falling apart because you have a, a, a sick kid and whatnot, and you missed a workout. Just keep going. All that matters is that you don't stop. Whatever it looks like, just show up. If you can only do 10 minutes, do 10 minutes because yeah. it's still 10 minutes more than you did. There is there is no wrong when it comes to moving. Like there's a saying, like, uh, Newton's first law, right? Um, a body at rest stays at rest. A body in motion yep. stays in motion. So continue going and and celebrate even that you only did 10 minutes because we tend to be a little hard on ourselves. If we didn't go all in or do 100% that it's not good enough, well, the all or no- nothing mentality will will end really quickly. And the, And aiming for perfectionism will mean that you won't get anywhere. You have to celebrate the small wins. Exactly. Yeah. It, it all counts. It all adds up. Um, last one, Sharon, I'll let you go. And I really appreciate your time. I'm sure there's a lot of people out there who, um, you know, had that talk and had those thoughts uh, and said, you know what? I, I'd really like to be more active. I'd really like to get more exercise into my life, whatever the case may be. But I don't know how to do it. I haven't, I have been inactive for so long. I don't know how to get started on a, on a biking routine or, or going to the gym or starting swimming, anything. I don't know. Where where did they start? Reach out to somebody like you, I would guess, right? Yes. Obviously, hiring a professional is really important so that you don't get injured. So you learn what to do. You don't waste time. You don't waste money. Um, but the other flip side of this is you really need to dig in and say, what do I want to try and what do I want to enjoy? Right? So you have to enjoy it. If you don't enjoy it, you're not going to stick with it. And most people, you know, can start with a walk. Yes, I know yeah. it's winter right now and it's hard. We're having beautiful weather. So get outside and go for a 20, 30 minute walk. That's a That's a start. Because, again, once you get going, you'll start to feel better. Motivation comes from action. Action leads to motivation. And that it's backwards. Everyone thinks they need to be motivated to start. No, you need to just start. And that's where your motivation will come, come from. So find something you think you're going to enjoy. If you want to get into the gym and you want to start strength training or doing something in the gym, hire a professional so you can learn, so you can invest, so you don't get injured, so that you'll stick to it. And, yeah, you got to find something you like or else it just won't stick. Absolutely. Great stuff. Shara, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate you being here today. It's the Three Amigos Summit. We talked a bit about it yesterday. Uh, Yesterday, Trudeau and Biden met. And uh, coming out of that meeting, we now know that U.S. President Joe Biden is going to visit Canada in March. Uh, that was one of the announcements made following yesterday's meeting. Canada traditionally has been one of the one of the first spots the president gets to um but uh, of course with covid and everything that was craziness uh so it'll be his first trip to canada since he was elected more than two years ago now a number of other topics that were discussed yesterday too so let's get an update today trudeau was meeting with obrador the mexican president so a lot on the go we're going to discuss all of that with samuel routley samuel is a phd student in political science at western uh samuel thanks for joining us appreciate your time yeah thanks for having me so it sounds like they had a uh, biden and trudeau had a pretty well, far-ranging conversation with a long list of topics discussed yesterday. The presidential visit announced at the end of it all. What stands out to you as what we heard coming out of their conversation? Yeah, definitely. It seems like uh, not only their meeting together, but but also the three of them, is that they, they seem to have come up with a, a pretty good uh, outcome. Uh, there was quite a lot of um, posture in going into this, especially between... Uh, president of Mexico, President of the United yeah. States. Um, you know, and there are also a few things that the United States and also Mexico has been doing 
um, that, that the Canadian government hasn't been too happy about. And, and it seems like, at least from the perspective of the leaders, I mean, maybe once we actually get into the policy, it gets a bit more complex. But it seems like it was an overall positive thing for all the parties involved. Yeah, and I'm, I'm wondering, because, you know, on, on the list of issues that we know they said they discussed was economic growth, competitiveness. There's been some friction around both of those elements uh, previously. I think a lot of it's been dealt with when we talk about America First and electric vehicles and all the rest of that stuff. Um, have most of those sticking points been dealt with, or was was there any more discussion yesterday? Do we know? Well, I mean, the, the, the things that we're discussing was there was a combination of these pretty relatively, I don't want to say minor, but I do want to say short-term grievances that the countries have been having with uh, some of the policies that the other ones have been pursuing, but at the same time, uh, they wanted. They also talked about a lot uh, these much more long-term projects, yeah. these much more long-term goals. And it seems that while they made progress on the short-term ones, uh, it's hard to tell exactly where those long-term ones are going to go. You know, if you want to count um, electric vehicles, for example, as one of these long-term goals, right? That there that is going to be a multi-year yeah. long process. Yeah. yeah, you're not going to wrap that up in a one-day summit or, or a brief meeting. Um, we know that uh, Canada announced they're buying an air defense system from the U.S. to donate directly to Ukraine. Uh, they talked about security. They talked about defense. A pretty noticeable shift this week in Canada's positioning on defense, I think. You got the announcement of the military jets being purchased on Monday. The air defense system to be donated to Ukraine uh, announced yesterday. Uh, is because Canada's feeling pressure from the U.S. to to step up in the area of security and defense? I mean, I, I think so. Um, there's definitely a lot of... It, it, it seems like while political opinion here in Canada is pretty uh, unanimous over over supporting Ukraine or sending our resources over there, it's a much more contentious um, political issue in the United States. Um, it seems like, um, you know, for example, there's a, there's a set of Republicans in Congress who seem prepared uh, to fight the president over uh, over his plans to, to uh, direct uh, more funds to U- Ukraine. So it's definitely the case that a lot more pressure is being put on Canada yeah. for this issue. Yeah. And they seem to be responding. Um, last one regarding the U.S. meeting, Nexus, which um, has been just, it, I think it, it really turned into a finger-pointing exercise. It, it seemed to get pretty nasty at times, but looks like there's been some resolution there, and the program will start in some capacity this spring, or at least, you know, the application process and everything. How important was that, and just in terms of, you know, cooperation, because it seemed to come off the track? Yeah, it's, it's, it's really related to uh, what's been happening with COVID for, you know, the last two or three years yeah. or so that, 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 that both countries have been pursuing these uh, separate border policies. Um, and exactly staying on the same page has been more of an issue. Um, as you know, over the last two years or so, you know, the United States took down restrictions, but then Canada maintained them and put them down and, and kind of created friction for a lot of the people involved, especially the people who were trying to get over, whether those are people traveling personally or, or, or economically, right? That, that, uh, there was a lot of confusion there, and I think it seems like you know, that there might be a silver lining there moving forward. Uh, in terms of what's happening today, the meeting shifts to a meeting with uh, Obrador and Trudeau. What do we know about what they might be discussing? What's the, what's the relationship there, and what's the focus? 
Yeah, I should say that the the important thing here is that um, while this is a meeting of of kind of all three of the heads, uh, most of this stuff, right? Most of most of how they work is through bilateral uh, meetings. So to some extent, you could argue that the really important stuff gets done uh, when Canada meets Canada meets the U.S. Canada meets Mexico, um, and I mean, there's a few particular um, grievances that, that Canada has with Mexico, um, or at least issues that affect us more than, than the United States. Um, for example, um, the Mexican government, Canada's accused the Mexican government of, um, of, pursue, of uh, giving their own national oil com- energy companies a, an, an unfair advantage. Um, there's also some controversy over Mexico's decision to um, kind of ban genetically modified corn, uh, which also impacts us. And so you should see stuff, that sort of stuff discussed, as well as perhaps the way the border issue affects us, um, not as directly as the United States, but but it's still relevant with with things like uh, fentanyl and and, and also arms, uh, guns getting over, crossing the Mexican-U.S. border and kind of finding their way up to Canada. Um, in terms of, you know, overarching or grand proclamations following a summit like this, not to be expected, right? It's like we've said, some, there's some work on this, there's some work on that, and, and just trying to realign some of the priorities. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. It, 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 there is definitely something to be said for the, the personal encounters, that the fact that these, these three leaders, these three governments are, um, showing, you know, diplomacy, that there's a yeah. sense of, friendliness there but honestly the really important stuff it kind of gets hammered out really slowly um in, in back our meetings behind between you know bureaucrats yes. sort of people that that aren't household names uh in in buildings that are not necessarily uh that exciting yeah that that's where the real work always gets done uh sam thanks so much for being with us i really appreciate your time Thanks for listening today. To hear any of our other interviews, you can find them wherever you find your favorite podcasts. And if you like what you hear, don't forget to rate and review us.